So uh, most of you know Allison. Uh, she is our Director of Discipleship here at Courtright, and uh, she's going to be preaching this morning, so let me pray for you, Allison. Dear God, uh, we thank you for the ministry of your word. We thank you that your word encourages us like nothing else. And so I pray this morning that you would speak through Allison. I pray that you would bless her as she brings a message from scripture for us. I pray that you would show us um, what you have in store for each one of us today and together as your people here at Corey. In Jesus' name. Well, good morning. <laughs> the last couple of weeks, for those of you that have been here, we have been looking at the story of Jonah. So a very quick recap to where we find ourselves this morning. Last week, we've heard about how God called Jonah to go to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah said, no way, and ran out in the opposite direction. He runs away. He finds a ship that is going completely as far away as he can get from Nineveh. He jumps on board this ship, and no sooner have they started to sail than God sends this huge storm, and they begin. the sailors begin to get very afraid, more and more desperate, and finally Jonah admits, okay, I'm running away from God. That's what this storm is about. Throw me into the water, and the water will be calm. The sailors, eventually realizing that they have no other choice, cry out to Jonah's God, and then throw him in the water, and the storm immediately stops. And so that takes us to where we are for today's passage. Jonah has just been hurled overboard, and he is in the water after the storm. So let's read together. The Lord appointed appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up out from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. told Alex he had to say Tarshish a bunch in his sermon, but I got to say vomit. So that was kind of exciting. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) So I know that our maintenance committee around here in session work really hard to take care of our building. They're often thinking about upgrades that we can make and improvements we can make to our space. But as I was preparing for this week, I came across an idea that I'd like to formally submit to the maintenance committee for consideration. Now, I haven't told Alex about this yet, but given his love of church history, I'm sure he'll be on board. So this is a picture of an old church in Poland, and they wanted to pay particular attention to the story of Jonah. This church is in Dzniki, Poland. So we're going to zoom in on the right side 
This is actually the pulpit. (laughs) Yep, it's a large fish. And I'm not kidding, the priest stands in the mouth of the fish under the teeth to deliver the word of God. So, you know, just for your consideration, something that might might look really nice right about here. (laughs) But this seems appropriate for our text today, as our entire text takes place inside the belly of a large fish. So we're going to begin by walking through this passage together more closely, then we'll step back and consider the significance and what it might mean for us today. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. It's interesting that before Jonah gets into the desperateness of his situation, before he tells us how terrifying it was to be sinking in the sea, he tells us right away that the Lord has answered me. He heard my voice. It's finally at this point in chapter 2 that we see Jonah pray and cry out to God. Up till now, we have seen the sailors cry out. They even tell Jonah to cry out to his God. And then even the sailors cry out to Jonah's God long before Jonah does. But now that he's desperate, he prays. He cries out to God, but not just any God. He cries out to the Lord, his God. In this passage, we have two different names for God. Elohim is the more generic term for God. It's used when the sailors cry out to their God, to their Elohim. And in contrast, Yahweh is the personal name of the God of Israel. All the different nations had their own gods and deities that they worshipped, and they often had many gods. But in contrast, the people of Israel, the Hebrews, had a God who made a relationship and a commitment to them. And this Elohim was different, the one true God. Beginning with Noah and then Abraham, God establishes his covenant with a person and then a group of people. And to Abraham, he says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants. The Elohim of Israel, the God of Abraham and Noah, his name is Yahweh. So Jonah cries out to Yahweh, his Elohim, a cry for help to the God he has known and served his whole life. Jonah proceeds. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. In the ancient Near Eastern way of thinking, and Jonah's understanding, was that the world was surrounded by water, and this cosmic sea was kept at bay by a solid dome, a dome that God placed around the earth to make a space where people and animals could live. So picture the earth surrounded by a big bubble, kind of like a force field. This force field that protects the earth from these cosmic waters that are above and below. So to be thrown into this water is a Hebrew person's worst nightmare. In fact, a lot of Hebrew poetry uses water and this sinking in sea imagery to convey despair and near-death experiences. We see this all over the Psalms. For instance, Psalm 69. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Do not let the floodwaters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. 
All of this kind of language is all throughout the Psalms. And the place that they called Sheol was believed to be underneath the waters below and was also known as the place of the dead. The waters below separated them from this place Sheol. And there's many references in scripture to this place. And we learn a little bit about what people thought about it. It's a place where people go after death when they die. It's located under the earth, under that um, sea below the earth. Residence there is permanent. There's no coming back. There are bars or cords to keep people in. And neither praise of God nor telling of God's love are present there. Here's an example from Psalm 88. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like those who have no help, like those forsaken among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You've put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. This is all the same language that Jonah uses. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. The flood surrounded me. Your waves and billows passed over me. This tells us a couple of things. First of all, clearly Jonah is desperate. He thought his life was over. And second, it tells us that Jonah knows the Hebrew prayer book or the Psalms. His language echoes countless Psalms. And in this place of despair and desperation, Jonah says, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. It's in times like these, like what Jonah's describing, that we really see what we're made of. What is deep within us to fall back on? What comes out in those moments? Somewhere deep within Jonah is scripture. That's what's coming out with all these echoes of the Psalms, passages he's heard his whole life and meditated on. And the Psalms remind him that salvation comes from God. And so he turns again and turns to the temple. The temple is where God's presence dwells, for the Hebrews, where people go to be close to God, where sacrifices are made, sins are forgiven, and people are restored. Deep in Jonah lie these scriptures, this heritage of calling out to God and the conviction that salvation comes from God. And so after running away, deliberately going in the opposite direction, trying to flee God's presence, he turns around and finally looks back to God and his holy temple. This is part of why Pastor Alex has been challenging us to commit to reading the Bible each day in this new year. It's so that scripture is within us. We read and consume it so that it can't help but come out of us. It's in these difficult, raw, in-the-pit times that we see what we are really made of. It's like the exam, and there's no time left to cram for it anymore. It's time to see what's really in us. Five years ago, my cousin was driving with his girlfriend or almost fiancé from our family cottage home to Ottawa. As they were driving, the winter weather got really bad and they were in a terrible accident. His beautiful Amanda was killed and my cousin was seriously injured. As my cousin lay in a hospital bed, Amanda's family and our family got news of what happened. After we knew that it was likely my cousin would live, I remember thinking, he survived physically, but will he survive otherwise? This kind of thing can so easily wreck the life of the one left behind. And then my thoughts quickly turned to Amanda's family. How are they? And how will they ever be able to speak to him again? 
Though the accident was in no way his fault, he was driving. My aunt tells me the story of how a couple hours after they had all received the news, at like two or three in the morning, my aunt and uncle's phone rings. It was Amanda's parents. They called saying, we just can't stop thinking of you. How are you doing? Incredulously, my aunt said, how can you even think of us right now? And they said, our daughter is whole. She is with Jesus and your son is broken. And so we pray for you. It's been five years and my cousin is okay. And more than okay, he is thriving. But it's not easy. It is complicated, but he is living fully. And we give full credit for that to Amanda's family through God. They have cheered him on and loved him in profound ways every step of the way. They longed for him to fully live. I can't imagine more of a sheol, a horrific abyss, than what Amanda's parents have gone through. But their profound faith, Their knowledge of God, their love of scripture was so deep within them that in those moments of hell, that's what flowed out of them and continues to pour from them. In my own challenging seasons, I have seen that these moments of despair and feeling like you're in the pit really do reveal what's inside of us. And to be honest, I have not liked a lot of what I've seen. But it's God's grace in these moments that draw out of us and up to the surface, the good and the bad, because it's when those things are up on the surface that God can remove, mold, or reshape us. In our text, we are not yet at the bottom. Jonah has further to sink. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Do you hear the language he uses here? Closed in over me, surround, wrapped around my head. One commentator I read says it's like he's being wrapped in grave clothes and buried. In their worldview, the earth was supported by these two subterranean mountains known as pillars of the earth. So the roots of the mountain really refer to the doorways of Sheol. Picture city gates at that time made of bronze and iron, part of their security equipment. And that's the bars. Jonah is feeling completely trapped on death's doorstep. The metaphor of the pit is often used for complete ruin, destruction, and annihilation. I don't think we can paint a more horrific picture of despair, but it's against this dark, desperate backdrop that the relief of rescue stands out strong. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You heard my voice. You brought up my life from the pit. Even on the doorstep of death, you are there. Even in Sheol itself, God has dominion. Psalm 139 reminds us, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. God is even there present in this desperate place. And so Jonah's cries are heard and he is rescued. You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And remember that Yahweh is the personal name of the God of Israel. So Jonah is restored to once again say, O Yahweh my Elohim. 
The beginning of our passage started with the third person, the Lord, his God. And now we get this cry of Jonah speaking directly to God, to Yahweh, his Elohim. Rescue. If we hear nothing else today, let's remember that God hears us when we cry out to him. We are not forgotten. We're going to hear a little bit more of this later on in Mike's story. And whatever it is that you're facing or will ever face, our story tells us that there is nowhere you can go that is apart from his presence and that he hears you and he rescues. Now, this part is still more of a mystery for me because he does not always rescue in the way we want, hope, or expect. But he hears. He is with us and the rescue belongs to him. It seems to be in the darkest places that we realize our need and dependence on God. As Tim Keller writes in his new book, The Prodigal Prophet, it's only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted, that you are finally open to learning how to completely depend on God. As is often said, you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You must lose your life to find it. I remember thinking in university, okay, if I can just figure out how to grow as much in the good times as the hard, then I'll be set and hopefully won't have to have those hard times. But it doesn't seem to work that way, does it? Pastor Alex reminded us last week that sometimes our suffering is the result of our disobedience. And sometimes there is just suffering because we live as part of a broken world. Whatever the reason for our suffering, our suffering is not wasted. God is always working these things to draw us back to him. That is what matters most to him above all else, that we come back to him and that our hearts long for him. In her recent book on disappointment called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, Lisa Turkers wrestles with suffering that comes from being disappointed when our life does not turn out the way we expected. And she says that perhaps our disappointments are actually useful. She writes, let's be honest, if we weren't ever disappointed, we'd settle for the shallow pleasures of this world rather than addressing the spiritual desperation of our souls. We don't think about fixing things until we realize they're broken. And even then, we don't call in the experts until we surrender to the realization we cannot fix things on our own. If our soul never ached with disappointments and disillusionments, we'd never fully admit and submit to our need for God. If we weren't ever shattered, we wouldn't, we'd never know the glorious touch of the potter making something glorious out of dust, out of us. And later she says, God isn't ever going to forsake you, but he will go to great lengths to remake you. Great lengths that for Jonah included all the way into the belly of a fish. When the author first mentions that Jonah is in a fish, he uses a neutral term for fish. But later when it says Jonah cries out from the belly of the fish, this term is actually feminine. And the word used for belly can also mean womb. And it's with this feminine use of fish that it's more like Jonah is crying out from the womb. This is a powerful picture as we consider um, that Jonah has suffered a death of sorts. Being swallowed is often a synonym for death. And now he is crying out from the womb of a fish. Do you see what the author is suggesting? We are witnessing a new life being brought forth. Something new is happening in Jonah. A rebirth of sorts. From the desperation, the despair, and the turning again to remember God, new life is coming. And from this rebirth, we get this prayer as Jonah continues. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In the middle of this prayer, we have this line that stands out from the others, and it sounds like a warning. Other translators say, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, or those who worship hollow gods, god frauds, walk away from their only true love. It seems here that Jonah is being reminded and reminding us of God's covenant love. The Hebrew word here is hesed, and it's an important one. Hesed is often translated as faithfulness or loving kindness, which are true, but it's much richer than that. Hesed love is the love of commitment, the love God promises when he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. It's loyalty. It's God's enduring love towards humans. It's a love that fills in or covers the gaps. Our love for God will never be enough or come close to his love for us, but his hesed, his covenant committed loyal love, covers the gap and makes it enough. I think the Jesus Storybook Bible translates this word best, calls it the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Jonah is rightly saying that when we look to anything else other than God, or perhaps Even when we are looking to the version of God we have made for ourselves, a God after our image of what we think God should be and how God should act, we worship a hollow God. The word translated as forsake is more like abandon, like a child abandoning a loving parent. Jonah is saying that looking to anything other than God is abandoning, is cutting ourselves off from the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. The only love that can also save us, sometimes even from ourselves. Jonah ends his prayer with salvation belongs to the Lord. The word for salvation or deliverance is Yeshua and has a common root with the name that the angel gave to Mary when she said that she would have a son and to call him Yehoshua, for Jesus will save his people from their sins. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah points us to Yahweh, to salvation, or Yeshua, and this points us to Jesus. When the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus for a sign in Matthew 12, he said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be the three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus himself reminds them of the story of Jonah and says that Jonah's experience near death and of new life coming out of the fish are a sign that point toward him, the Son of Man, and what he is about to do and will do for us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This whole prayer of Jonah's is really a song or a poem, and it could actually be stuck right in the middle of the Psalms and you wouldn't think twice about it. But it's not just any song, it actually belongs to a particular type of psalm called a thanksgiving psalm. And a thanksgiving psalm follows a typical pattern. There's a brief summary of the distress and the deliverance, there's a word to the congregation, then there's a longer description of the distress and the deliverance, and then finally a vow to praise. We see that exactly in what Jonah's done here. Psalm 30 is another example of this. This psalm of thanksgiving is meant to speak thanks directly to God, but it's also to witness to a listening community about the mighty saving acts of God. You'll notice that Jonah's psalm starts by saying, 
I called out to the Lord and he answered me. Like he's telling a group of people about what happened. And then he moves quickly to, I cried and you heard my voice. And for the rest of the song continues with Jonah speaking directly to God. It's personal and it's also a message that a community is invited to hear as Jonah bears witness to what God has done in his life. From the time I started preparing this, the thing that kept screaming out to me is that he is singing praises and thanking God while he is in the belly of a fish. It seems like a lament psalm or a please get me the heck out of here prayer would be much more appropriate. This ordeal is far from over for Jonah. We know that he gets out, but he doesn't know that yet, and he's still very much in a fish's stomach, surrounded by sardines and seaweed and stomach acid, and he is thanking and praising God for saving him. I mean, yes, okay, he didn't drown, he's not dead, but he's in a fish. Usually when I get stuck on something like this and can't get past it, there's usually something God is offering me. So it was no great surprise when I realized, oh yeah, okay, I think I'm struggling with this. He has rescued me. He has done so much for me. But I'm sitting in the fish going, man, it really stinks in here, and I can't wait to get out. I'm afraid that what naturally comes out of me in this hard time is not Thanksgiving. But I have learned that Thanksgiving is not only not actually only appropriate, it's exactly what my soul needs. When we're in difficulty, and particularly in a season of waiting, we are so aware of all that isn't, and of all the if-onlys, they're too apparent, and we wince as we watch people who have what we long for. Thanksgiving is not usually the response of our hearts, but I am slowly becoming convinced that this is exactly what we need. We can't wait till life changes or we get what we want to start being grateful. We choose gratitude right from the belly of the fish. And there is much to be grateful for. We can look back on the ways that God has intervened in our lives in the past. We can see the good of what he has given us. And eventually, if we exercise these gratitude muscles enough, we might just be able to see the gifts and the mercies in the apparent disappointments and challenges of the particular situation that we're in. Recently, we've been trying to help one of our kids learn gratitude. Okay, Alex's little trick of keeping his kids anonymous doesn't really work as well when you only have one. So, oh well. We've been trying to help Zoe learn gratitude. (laughs) The other day, we'd been running some errands, and we were in a store, and she saw a machine that took a quarter and you got a bouncy ball. And in a moment of weakness, I caved and said, sure. So she got the quarter, she turned the dial, and out popped this large blue bouncy ball. And it wasn't a minute later. We had barely left that section of the store when she said, Mom, can I have another quarter? I really want to try and get another one a different color. This drives me crazy. I try to say, Zoe, you need to be grateful for what you have. But I don't think you can actually make someone grateful. They have to choose it. Maybe they see it modeled and then embody it themselves. And parents, if you have any suggestions for me, I would be grateful. But of course, as I say this to her, it's reflected back in myself. How do you make someone be grateful? You choose gratitude. And this is perhaps the best lesson that we can learn from Jonah in this text. Thanksgiving and praise, even from the belly of a fish. 
As we read this chapter, we can sense that there's a new beginning for Jonah. He turns his attention to the Lord. He's experiencing this change of heart, and God responds. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. But that's not the end of the story. We have a couple weeks left with Jonah, and I don't want to spoil it, although Pastor Alex did already ask you to read the rest. Um, But Jonah is not altogether on track with God yet. Yes, Jonah has a change of heart, and yes, God frees him from the fish, but it's not because he's learned his lesson and can be finished now with some kind of fishy timeout. It's much more complex and mysterious than that. There is a change of heart in Jonah, that's true, but he has a long way to go. And friends, this is good news for us. It means our getting out of our proverbial fishes is not dependent on us. It's not dependent on us getting it right or learning some lesson. It's just mercy. That's it. Jonah is not there yet, knowing that there are apparently... So knowing that there are absolutely lessons to be gleaned from Jonah's prayer, let's take another look back and see what might be missing from what he says. And thankfully, we can learn things from people who don't fully get it. In Jonah's prayer, we don't actually see full confession and repentance. There is a turning again to look to God, so there is repentance in that sense. But we don't get a full recognition of where Jonah went wrong. This could be a prayer of confession, as we often see that in the Psalms. But there is no explicit statement about what Jonah has done wrong. And this seems to indicate pride and a lack of humility, some of what we will see later in the book. Jonah describes, I called out to the Lord, and yet I shall look again. I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you. Again, this is familiar language, but sort of. Usually in scripture, it is God who is described as doing the remembering. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even the admonition that Jonah makes to those who forsake seems more directed to others than to himself. Even though he is not seeing God rightly and is cutting himself off from God's love exactly like he's saying. This mix in Jonah's prayer is good news for any of us that don't get things right away. More than that, it all points to the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty, meaning the all-in-chargeness of God. He is in charge of nature. He hurls the storm. He calms the storm. He sends a fish. He speaks to the fish. Okay, that is cool. And we see this totally in control of nature. We see God's sovereignty over us. He goes to great lengths to draw Jonah back. He isn't ever going to forsake you, but he will go to great lengths to remake you. We see his sovereignty over salvation. He's in charge of it. That means he gets to decide who, what, where, when, and how. It belongs to him. It doesn't belong to us. And we don't do anything to deserve it. It's just mercy. His incredible mercy. Time and time again, he wants his people to be with him, to know him, to be their God, and for them to be his people. And so with each opportunity, he draws us back, back to him with his never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Let's pray. God, we are humbled as we remember the ways that you continue again and again to draw us back. We thank you that you do work all good and all suffering for that purpose, and that you long for us to know you more deeply. I pray that you would be at work in our midst doing that good work, drawing us back to yourself, and of seeing you for who you are. 
And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Over this last month, we have been having the privilege and opportunity to hear from members of our congregation, to hear stories of how God has been at work in their lives. So I'm going to invite Mike Vasey up, and he's going to share a little of his story with us now. Greetings, everyone. Bear with me. I haven't memorized everything. Um, From the very beginning, I felt life was against me. I was born with scoliosis. I had a hump in my upper back. In my life, I struggled with constant anxiety, had many fears and constant depression. I hated myself for who I was and what I was. I had no self-worth, no self-esteem, no self-image. I constantly struggled with suicidal thoughts. I wanted to end this constant life of misery and suffering. At the age of 26, I gave my life to Christ. It was the beginning of a long journey for me in my walk with God. Medically, I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder. Bipolar 2 disorder, the up moods, never reached full-blown mania. The less intense moods in bipolar 2 disorder are called hypermanic episodes or hypomania. Most people with bipolar 2 disorder suffer more often from episodes of depression. However, it is the depressive side of this disorder that can seriously and dangerously affect the lives of people experiencing episodes. Most stabilizers help me. After my marriage ended, I crashed and burned. My depression deepened. I had a broken heart and a wounded spirit. I read in Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen. This encouraged my heart, and I did pray to him, and there was hope for me. I found great comfort in reading through the book of Psalms. I began to memorize and meditate on the passages that were important to me. These verses became my prayer language to the Lord above. I learned to cry out to God for his help. Psalm 86, Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God, Savior, servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Hear my cry, O Lord, hear my prayer. O Lord, listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. God began to reveal himself more and more in my life. My many prayers were being answered, and my faith in him became stronger. I began going for prayer, being prayed over by godly men and women from from this body of Christ. In 2016, God brought five major storms into my life all at once. I was being tested to my my very limits. Fears began to rise up in my life once again. 
The stormy waves of the trials crashed over me. The fear of the fear was worse than the fear itself. I prayed Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered in shame. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord gave me a verse from Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed or discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I lost my mother, a godly woman, who prayed constantly for her children in that same year. I knew that God had delivered me through all these trials, and I learned to put my trust in his unfailing love. During the time of 2016, I unintentionally went off my mats for a period of five months. I noticed that something was different. I was thinking very clearly. I was very focused. I was giving my time and my energy to helping others in great need. And I had forgotten myself. I went back on my meds, but I had a serious reaction. I thought I was having a stroke. I saw a geriatric psychiatrist for a period of one year. It was confirmed. The God of all grace and mercy and compassion had healed me on my bipolar illness. I tell you that two years to this day, I have never had, I am a new creation. I am no longer suffer from this illness. Ezekiel 36:25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. All that I have, all I will give you, a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take away your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my laws and decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. This is what God has done for me. Not only has he healed my heart, but he's also healed my soul. He has restored my life after the times of suffering and many trials. He has restored the many years the locusts have eaten. God has also created in me a pure heart in which I now experience a river of life of joy, of happiness and peace flowing through from within my heart. I know I am a child of God, a man of God, a man of integrity, because I know he has, I, has, I have been redeemed and he has summoned me by name. And I'll finish with a verse. If I can see. It's out of First Peter. Oh, what's going on here? I'm not going back into the depths, Lord, no. No. Praise, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that never can never perish, spoil, or fade. Captain Heaven for you.
who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. They have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. May God's blessings be upon you. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for Mike, for his courage, um, for your work in his life, for the way that you brought him up out of the pit. We thank you that you have healed him, and we pray that you would continue to be close to him, that he would know that you are leading him in his life. And I thank you for all the gifts you've given him, um, for his sense of humor, which we caught a bit of at the end there, um, for the way that he is an amazing listener, um, the conversations he can strike up with people, for the care he has for others. Um, I pray that you would bless him, um, guide him, in Jesus' name, amen. amen.